0: We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Sheila Murray, Beatrice Okoko, Lydia Ferreira, and Michelle Sullivan about the Lighthouse Project and about building community resilience in the face of climate change. Resilience is a contested and, some might argue, somewhat slippery term. At its most basic, it means all of those capacities and characteristics that enable a person or a community to bounce back in the face of adversity. Which sounds innocent, even positive. However, critics have pointed out that its growing prominence in various approaches to understanding and intervening in the world in the last couple of decades corresponds rather well with the rise of neoliberalism. That is, the erosion of collective assurances of well-being managed through the welfare state in favor of budget cuts, privatization, deregulation, austerity, and increasingly precarious work and lives for ordinary people. In this context, those critics maintain, a focus on resilience can distract from efforts to challenge the sources of harm under neoliberalism through an emphasis on valuing those capacities that allow people and communities to absorb said harms and still, somehow, keep on keeping on. But, really, even granting that concern, who could argue with cultivating the capacities necessary to navigate and survive adversity? Whether you think about the existing ways that marginalized communities already bear the brunt of systemic harms, or you think about the context of climate change, with its increased frequency and intensity of extreme weather events already happening and slated to get worse, and with marginalized people facing the worst of not only that, but the other forms of harm that climate change will bring, harm reduction seems like a reasonable place to start. And when you look at what it means in practice to build resilience in communities, a central component is inevitably the building of connections and relationships among the people and organizations in the community. Those relationships mean they are better able to respond to harms in the moment, whether those are chronic and systemic harms, or whether there's some kind of acute disaster, and it is precisely relationships among people facing some kind of threat or harm that, under the right circumstances, turn into collective efforts not just to mitigate the symptoms, but to begin addressing the root causes of harm. That is, just because sometimes neoliberal politicians can use resilience for their own ends doesn't mean the rest of us shouldn't also be interested in cultivating it in our communities and movements. The Lighthouse Project is an Ontario Trillium Foundation-funded pilot project working to build resilience in several Ontario communities. Though its roots lie in a recognition of the need to build resilience in the face of climate change and increasing extreme weather, it also seeks to explore resilience far beyond that. The lead organization on the project is a group called Faith and the Common Good, a national interfaith network devoted to protecting ecosystems and building healthy communities. A key focus for the project has been involving faith groups in the process, both as participants in community networks, and in some cases as physical resilience hubs that can be part of community responses to disasters. Sheila is the manager of the Lighthouse Project, and she comes to it from the Toronto group Community Resilience to Extreme Weather, or CREW. The communities involved in the project approach it using two quite different models. Some are driven by a municipal emergency management office and take a top-down approach. Michelle, for example, coordinates the project in Brampton, Ontario, where she works for the municipal government. In these communities, the focus tends to be quite directly on building community infrastructure to be better able to respond to extreme weather, such as the major ice storm that hit Brampton in 2013. Other communities are using a bottom-up model. Lydia coordinates the project in the St. Jamestown neighborhood in Toronto, while Beatrice, who works for Faith and the Common Good, as well as for a local environmental organization called Environment Hamilton, coordinates it in the Beasley neighborhood in Hamilton, Ontario. In St. Jamestown and Beasley, both of which are quite low-income neighborhoods, the focus is on building community networks with strong participation from faith institutions and facilitating the communities defining for themselves what resilience should look like. In these instances, the hope is that the project will go beyond a focus on extreme weather events to catalyzing the kinds of relationship networks that are necessary for building resilience in its broadest sense and for taking action as a community in the face of not just extreme weather, but also the everyday harms of poverty, food insecurity, lack of affordable housing, and all the rest. Sheila, Beatrice, Lydia and Michelle speak with me about climate change, about resilience, and about the work of the Lighthouse Project.
1: My name is Sheila Murray and I'm a co-founder of Crew, which is Community Resilience to Extreme Weather. Crew is a volunteer-driven grassroots organization that's based in Toronto and it was formed as a response to Toronto's floods and ice storm in 2013 and our concerns around the need to help people to adapt to climate change. I'm also the manager of the Lighthouse Project, which is a GTHA community resilience pilot. Faith the Common Good is the project lead and we have funding support from the Ontario Trillion Foundation.
2: I'm Beatrice Icoco. And I work with a couple of NGOs. So I work with Environment Hamilton and also Safe in the Common Good. I do project management and
3: communications. My name is Lydia Ferreira and I am the Toronto Resilient Nominator for the San Jose Life House Project. I came to Canada 30 years ago from the south, Paraguay, and I was working with different you know, organizations. They are bringing a um, diverse community into the environmental
4: movement. Hi, I'm Michelle Sullivan and I'm the Lighthouse Program Coordinator at the Brampton Emergency Management Office with the City of Brampton. Faith
2: and the Common Good is a nonprofit. It's a national interfaith network of diverse faith communities and spiritual communities across Canada, And what we do is really to support faith communities in taking care of the earth, and we do this through sharing resources and education and projects and capacity building and really look at how we can do this together as collective action. And uh, again, it's to build stronger, more climate-resilient, more healthier communities. We're thinking especially of legacy and future generations. Our strength really is in the diversity of faith. Every religious teaching or spiritual practice has that theme in common that we are supposed to be caretakers of the earth.
1: The Lighthouse Project comes out of work that Faith and Common Good crew and another organization, the School for Social Entrepreneurs, have spent a good couple of years talking about what community climate resilience hubs might look like. Faith the Common Good did some work a year or so ago looking at faith sites, particularly as resilience hubs, which could enhance emergency response capacity with all sorts of help from faith sites. They could be places of refuge and volunteers might be trained to help in the sort of first responses. So that was a pilot that was done a couple of years ago, and it sort of arrived at the point where, yes, there was interest, but faith sites would need, faith groups would need lots of resources, financial and other sorts of support, particularly from their municipal governments, in order to take further steps. But to get back to the current Lighthouse pilot, we had the opportunity through funding from the Ontario Trillium Foundation To look again at what community resilience hubs might look like, but this time with a more general view, taking a broader approach and asking what communities would like to see from a community-led perspective what they would consider as resilience, how faith sites and faith groups could make a contribution to that conversation, and perhaps, again, become physical sites or not. So this particular pilot is more open. The central piece is about building community networks, especially in the Hamilton and Toronto sites. And those networks are coming from the strengths and assets that exist inside the community and then we ask all of those people to come together and begin an ongoing dialogue about what resilience looks like and that's what we'll discover as the pilot unfolds
0: talk more about the need for communities to be resilient specifically in the context of climate change
1: climate change is a threat and risk multiplier so many, many of the things that trouble us at the neighborhood level, and these are things like poverty and housing and transit and so on and so forth, especially also environmental concerns around air quality, but then particularly around safety. How safe are we in our houses? How safe are we in our neighborhoods? Climate change takes all of the risks and threats that already exist that we tend not to think about so much, but multiplies the possibilities and the effect of them So as we go forward in time and the weather patterns begin to change and there are many, many other aspects of it. And I think for me personally, my greatest concern is that because climate change is an overwhelming concept issue, most of us would prefer not to think about it for very good human reasons. We prefer to think that it's far away and is not likely to touch our lives directly anytime soon. So people often say that's a problem for the future, not a problem now. But in fact, we can look about us and see the sort of immediate results of things that are part of climate change, such as flooding in the Ontario region. So it's real and it's here. And one of my great concerns is that the day that people feel it as an immediate threat, and and I do believe that day will come in some form or another, then we have two choices. And one is to be afraid. And then I think we become vulnerable to manipulation by political interests and other interests who would steer us down a road of fear and perhaps exploit those fears. Or the other choice is to come together. And there's a lovely expression I've recently heard, which is to tend and befriend. So come together as communities think about how we can look after each other, think about those most vulnerable and what we can do for them in times of stress. Think about the kind of communities we would like to live in and then build those communities. And in all of that positive action and coming together and building a sort of multi-stakeholder networks, we can look at a world that is a better place instead of turn our backs on it in fear. So for me, that's the overarching reason for this work. Tell listeners
0: a little bit more about the Lighthouse Project pilots in each of these specific communities in Brampton, Ontario, in St. Jamestown in Toronto, and in Beasley in Hamilton.
4: So in our emergency management office here in Brampton, we do something called a hazard identification risk assessment. And we look at what hazards impact Brampton the most. And of our top 10, six of those top 10 hazards that could impact are climate related. We're tracking intensification of storms, the frequency of storms that we're having, and that plays into our climate change discussions. And so when we look at how our local populations have become vulnerable from that, what stemmed, I think, from this was looking at a particular focusing event and looking at that specifically. So for the city of Brampton, our focusing event having to do with climate change and climate issues had to be our 2013 ice storm. The storm differentially impacted the whole region, so resources to address impacts were at a premium and several of the disaster response agencies in the area struggled to answer the needs that were identified. So after action reports revealed when we looked closely at it that our shelters were underutilized. Appropriate facilities were too far away from the citizens that need it the most. And when travel by any conveyance is dangerous, resources within walking distance are crucial. So our neighborhoods, what is in our neighborhoods are strong things and assets in our neighborhoods and those resources in our neighborhoods that we can utilize. And follow-up revealed that we received assistance from faith-based organizations in the local vicinities. Those faith-based organizations were very active during that ice storm, helping the local citizens. So that's one of our neighborhood strengths. We should be looking at faith-based organizations in particular to help us. And we did a baseline and resilience analysis and it revealed why. 90% of Brampton's population affiliates itself with a faith. So it's something very unique in a a diverse city like Brampton to find anything in common. It was a revelation to us. So that's why we have been collaborating with the Faith and the Common Good Organization.
3: In Toronto, we are working in the St. Town neighborhood. This neighborhood is identified as one of the 13 economically deprived neighborhoods between the city of Toronto. It's huge high-rise buildings around the neighborhood. It's 19 buildings right now that we are working with. Officially, they say 17,000 people live there, but the real number is around like 30-something thousand. It's a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingualistic neighborhood with people over 100 countries speaking around 160 languages. So right now, the pilot is in the early stage. Our work is basically just connecting the dots. We are just mapping the community. What we are doing is we are learning what is inside. Right now, it's very interesting because we can find different organizations, different services providers, community groups, but they are not connecting each other. They are not working together. So with this pilot, we are, like, dreaming to bring all these different multi-stakeholders together and to start, like, basically discussing about how we are going to start, like, the community resilience plan for San town. And also we are, like, having this kind of very simple survey question, like, asking for, like, a kind of a skill inventory asset that we have the an Inwood. And that is the same with the different programs, different organizations, and, like, different multi-stakeholders. Also right now with the project, we are creating the advisory committee. We are bringing together experts from outside that is going to provide us advice how we are going to continue our community outreach and engagement. And also we are creating a local stakeholder committee. So basically it's like eight to ten community members from different organizations working inside the community. And especially with this group, group, is going to be the working team. So basically, the group is going to work with me and Sheila in creating the master plan, the for the scientists, our resilient community Project,
2: I can talk a bit about the Lighthouse Project in Beasley. Environment Hamilton, that's the group that's partnering with the Faith and the Common Good on this project. Beasley is a neighborhood that we do a lot of work in. Um, We have our Trees Please project there. We have our Walkability and Friendly Streets project. So there's a lot of work that we do in this neighborhood. We actually are situated in Beasley as well. So it kind of made sense for us to pick this neighborhood, as well as the fact that there's a lot of change in dynamics happening in this neighborhood. For instance, there's a lot of development slated for the area. There's gentrification happening. And Beasley has been known to have one of the lowest income neighborhoods in Canada but it's also very vibrant. There's a lot going on. There's great community organizations. The Neighborhood Association is dynamite. People are always, you know, attending the meetings. They have a great action plan, and they're really involved, a lot of involved residents. So we decided we'd focus on this neighborhood for the pilot. So right now, the plan is to explore with community partners and residents and stakeholders what resilience means to BC. What does that look like? We're very open to understanding what resilience means to the community. And with that in mind, we have meetings that are coming up. There's a lot of interest in how can we really be a stronger neighborhood.
1: In each case, we have a universal issue, which is our own personal safety, family safety, and then the safety of our neighborhoods and larger community. And so because it's of universal interest, we feel it can bring a greater diversity of people together. You can't blame the weather on politics, you can't blame, you know, a heatwave on a political party. There's no sort of partisan blame to lay. So for that reason, bringing two people together around this issue we think is quite doable and we can get perhaps more people, more variety of people because of it. Once we have people together, they'll learn about the hazards and risks that will affect them directly in their communities and also about how they can prepare themselves and their families and help the neighbors to be ready to be their own first responders should something significant happen. I think one of the objectives of working so hard to bring a large number of the sort of diversity of people together in neighborhoods is to find out how to make the conversation sustainable. Once the plan is made, it's a piece of paper that exists somewhere, but far more important is that the people who've been engaged in the dialogue to arrive at that plan continue to see each other and continue to think about how the most vulnerable in the communities are doing and think ahead to planning for events as they might happen. There's a lot of unknown in there, but there's also that universal interest in keeping ourselves, but then also our neighbors and communities safe. And again, build that better, more connected, build the relationships.
0: So I realize it's still at a fairly early stage, but what might be different, both in day-to-day terms and in a crisis in each of these communities in a few years' time, if this process goes well?
4: We could have basic emergency management services, as long as we train these people well, within 1.5 kilometers of 193 of our 200 identified vulnerable population concentrations here in Brampton. So that's my hope that once we get all of these faith-based organizations trained properly and active and can be activated in extreme weather, that we will have that much coverage throughout our city to help our vulnerable populations that were so underserviced in our large emergencies like the ice storm.
1: I'd like to say before Beatrice and Lydia speak that there are two models here. The Brampton model is work that is led through the inspiration of the city emergency manager in Brampton. So in that regard, it's a sort of top-down process. So the city department has done the work of identifying the potential partners, and they have a very clear idea of how those faith partners could sort of bottom line build capacity for the emergency management office. But at the same time, those faith groups that participate then have a wonderful opportunity to engage with their immediate neighbors, which is the other aspect of building resilience around local relationships. So that's a sort of top-down model. And then what's happening in Hamilton, Toronto is bottom-up. So it's coming out of the community. And so the community then is asked to build something that, again, will last. So just to say that there are two different models. For me, the idea of having a resilience hub or more than one, which is a place where people know they can share information about climate risks and hazards, where they can leverage expertise, where somebody will be able to put them in touch with someone who can help them talk about flooding issues, for example, where they can perhaps invite speakers to come in and speak unrelated subjects, a sort of friendly go-to spot and also, of course, meet like-minded neighbors. And so, if that were an identifiable place in a neighborhood or places, then that's more than a place of refuge in times of real trouble, and more than a charging station if the power goes out, but a place where community lives and grows and will sustain over time.
2: My hope is that the idea of resiliency becomes an ongoing conversation in BC and in Hamilton that goes even beyond extreme weather response to include in that whole idea of resiliency, healthy people, biodiversity, you know, maybe green infrastructure. It's just really more resilient as a community, as a neighborhood that expands to affordable housing, food security, all those aspects that make a community, a neighborhood resilient. So it'd be awesome if extreme weather is the springboard that can then bring all those intersections together. And then I was thinking that perhaps faith communities as being those hubs, a physical spaces that people can be supported in their concerns and maybe learn how to prepare a kit, you know, a go bag, extreme weather kit and things like that, some practical steps like that. But those hubs really can support community aspirations, like what the community wants or what BZ says it wants. How can these faith communities support those aspirations and be more responsive to the community? And of course, that network that we talked about, we really want to sustain that network. And
3: keep that dialogue going. And on is more like Beatrice is telling about like, um, because My hub is also, like maybe in a year, maybe a year and a half, is they are like, uh, connecting all these people together and discussing about to be resilient. Right now, we are like uh, dealing with a vertical neighborhood without any common place where they can be connecting. So the whole idea is to study a connecting like, all of them and to create a kind of very strong network, especially in emergency times. And also my hope is maybe in four or five years to have this physical place where if something happens, like all these people, they can rely to go and to find like, some help, especially in extreme weather.
1: One of the things that Lydia is doing, and she spoke briefly about this in St. Jamestown, is a survey of the sort of strengths and assets of the people who live in St. Jamestown. St. Jamestown is a very compact area, as she said, of those who live there will tell us as many as 35,000 people living mostly in towers in a very small geographical area in downtown Toronto. So Lydia will be in each of those towers meeting people and asking them what their expertise is. And a lot of them, again, are newcomers and it's a very diverse neighborhood and many of them have skills and talents and you know, are PhDs who are not working in their field as newcomers in Canada and looking at the strengths that are in the neighborhood and then asking those people to be part of the conversation as well. In Hamilton, I think there'll be less direct residents, I mean, not involvement, residents will certainly be part of the process, but because the Hamilton Beasley neighborhood agencies and organizations working there know each other so well, they're in some ways a step ahead and sort of carry with them, I think, all the concerns of residents, which they're very familiar with. So again, everybody's involved, but I think there's perhaps a greater understanding in Beasley of the neighborhood issue and where resilience needs to be. But I think in St. Jamestown, where people work together rather less closely, it's a real process of discovery. And we're really looking forward to seeing what comes from it. There has been a lot of work done on what community resiliency is and why it matters, a lot of academic work and a lot of evidence for the kind of relationship building that we focus on as being really important to the ability of a community to cope with an event and to bounce and some would say no, bounce back even stronger after an event because there's something that happens when disaster strikes, and that is that people come together, people want to help. This is exactly what happened in Brampton following the ice storm. It certainly happened in Toronto. People want to help, people volunteer, people stand side by side helping their neighbors fill sandbags, people come from outside of the community to help. So we know from all of the research that resilience is in the strength of the relationships that people have with each other. And so in instances like Hurricane Sandy or in heat waves, it's people looking after each other. The neighborhoods where people do that are the neighborhoods that are most resilient. If is a neighborhood where a lot of street festivals and a lot of restaurants and people hang around outside and the conversations spring up on the street and they can gossip about somebody they're concerned about who lives down at number 95 who they haven't seen for a while and somebody makes a decision to go check on them. That's the sort of neighborhood resilience that does really well under threat and without it, things can not go so well. So certainly all of this thinking about the building of relationships, the strengthening of relationships is the focus. And while perhaps what we do in the absence of people knowing each other very well, what we're doing is bringing them together around this conversation and then figuring out ways to keep the conversation going. As we go down this road of all of these issues, one imagines there will come a time when people say, well, why? Why is all of this happening? And at that point, that conversation about climate change can become very clear and we can actually address it, I think, at a time when people ask for that information. And that's the point at which mitigation comes into play, because once you understand that the need to adapt is very real and to adapt in all this sort of multitude of ways, the one thing we can do other than adapt is to mitigate. There are again, a multitude of ways to mitigate. And so we can then begin to address, you know, the real cause of all of this. But I think the reality is we're not going to stop climate change anytime soon. It's on us. And so adaptation is necessary now.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Sheila Murray, Beatrice Coco, Lydia Ferreira, and Michelle Sullivan about the Lighthouse Project and about building community resilience in the face of climate change. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates, or follow us on Facebook or Twitter.